Before we start tonight, I want to say congratulations to Demi Lovato. You see, Demi is a truly inspiring product of these exciting and changing times. Speaking to the Spout podcast, and yes, of course, I mean that Spot podcast. Yeah, she got on somehow. Not those cheap and lowly imitation Spout podcasts, no, no. Demi took to the pod waves to announce that she, and I do mean she, don't cancel me yet, she is now returning to she, her pronouns, after revealing last year that she would be using they, them. Now, before your bigoted minds rush to assign her just two genders, you need to slow your hateful roll. Demi will be incorporating she, her, along with they, them, as seen on her Instagram profile. Uh, She is apparently I'm also seeing something involving a misspelled version of the F word, which is heading our way on the 19th. I just can't wait for that to come out. I know I have all of her album uh, or or art. I'm not sure exactly what she does. Regarding her newest updated factory labels, Miss and and yes, I mean Miss, unless unless she's married. I don't know. Maybe she maybe she I guess she could kind of marry herself with all these pronouns. Um, I don't really care about Demi Lovato all that much, That, but I will say this. She had important words to teach us. She said, quote, I'm such a fluid person when it comes to my gender, my sexuality, my music. Ah, she's a musician. And creativity. Recently, I've been feeling more feminine, and so I've adopted she, her again. So courageous. Personally, I am feeling a bit fluid myself, and I do believe my gender is in the process of shifting over to stupidly wealthy and unreasonably buff. That's just me. Sydney Sweeney, you have my number. I've texted it to you 15,000 times. If you catch a break from all those nudie scenes, give me a call. All of us here at Studios America would like to congratulate Demi on her amazing accomplishment, being all of the things to all of the people, all of the time. A lot of us struggle through life with just like one gender, and you're making the journey with more assignments than a Harvard undergrad, and in fact, In light of your stunning example, I'm going to call on every major news and entertainment network to implement a permanent ticker at the bottom of the screen, updating us on the constantly shifting gender status of our most beloved celebrities, like a stock ticker, telling you the price or the gender that each celebrity is all the time, because who else can possibly keep track of all this except, you know, CNN? Anything less is not enough, because, and I mean this, who wants to be themselves when they can be everyone else too? We thank you, she, her, they, them, he, his, they, just screw it. Thank you, Demi Lovato. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go. Subscribe to Blaze TV. Use the promo code Stu, you'll save 10 bucks. Jorge Ventura has a wild new documentary uh, that is out now. He's here to tell us about it. The media continues its idolization of Jon Stewart because, you know, they're the media and they suck. But we start by doing Kansas. Yes, Kansas. The entire state of Kansas. You shall be done this evening. Now, I will say Kansas was not the only result from last night, so let me give you a little bit in case you happen to miss what happened last night. In Michigan, U.S. House of Representatives Haley Stevens defeated Andy uh, Levin. Uh, this is sort of the, the age-old story of a moderate uh, Democrat beating a hardcore progressive, so, I mean, you could say that's uh, good news. In Michigan, Rashida Tlaib 
was able to uh, win once again. And that one is maybe not such good news, but not really in doubt. In Arizona, an interesting race, Blake Masters, who is uh, supported by Peter Thiel, uh, kind of seen as sort of the you know, new sort of populist wing of the Republican Party. He's going to be the Senate candidate in Arizona. In Michigan, very interesting race, uh, Peter Meyer and John Gibbs. Meyer was the uh, incumbent there. He voted for the impeachment of Donald Trump, and he loses a very close race in a very purple district. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in this one. John Gibbs, the winner by about four points. And in Missouri, one we talked about quite a bit, Eric Schmidt uh, beat Eric Greitens, and actually Greitens finished third. So really not not close at all. Schmidt won by something like 20 points. So uh, I think a good result there. And, and these seats are so important in the Senate at this point. We've talked about it over and over again, because if if you can re- look, you got to get the House if you're the Republicans here, because then you can block the legislation. But if you can get the Senate, if you can just get that Senate, you can stop a lot of these bad court appointments. You can stop a lot more. It's very, very important. And there is a path. I've said this before. I will say it again. I'm getting less optimistic about this, but it is possible. You are in a situation here, boys and girls, where in 2022, if you have a good run, if the wave election comes and Republicans can get to like, let's say, let's go, let's shoot high, 54 seats. Okay, not out of the question. You'd have to have some things go right. But let's just say they can get to 54 seats. You get into that area and all of a sudden 2024 looks like an election in which you can get hopefully maintain the Republican House. You can get the presidency away from 1000 year old Joe Biden. And you may you may, if things go right, have a filibuster proof majority in the Senate. It's possible. It really is, because this particular election, while the climate is Republican wave, the the sort of structure of these Senate races favors Democrats. It's one of those times where uh, they it's, it's harder for Republicans to pick up seats. Now, in 2024, it's the reverse. So it will be easier for Republicans to pick up seats and gain ground and maybe get over 60 votes in the Senate. Can you imagine that? Pick your Republican presidential candidate, whoever you happen to like, in control with not only the House, but a filibuster proof majority in the Senate. It is possible if Republicans don't screw this up. But that does seem to happen quite a bit now, doesn't it? Now, I want to move on to uh, the Kansas uh, situation, because that's kind of what we're talking about today. And, and I got into this a little bit the other day. I, we, I have, um, we have these uh, 624-22 mugs and T-shirts. And, th- and that date is the date, of course, of Roe versus Wade being overturned, an important date in U.S. history, one that should be remembered certainly by conservatives as a really important moment in our history. And I think something that is leading to the eventual situation where we'll see abortion as what it is, a real horror show uh, and something that it's, it's amazing that this country has put up with for as long as it has. Uh, but I was talking to my daughter who saw my wife in that shirt and she said, what's 62422? And I, you know, of course, as a dad, you don't want to answer any difficult questions. So I said something to the effect of, uh, it's an important day in the Supreme Court. And she, uh, unfortunately, is very smart and asked why uh, it was an important day in the Supreme Court. And I started trying to talk about it. I said, well, you know, it's well, the, the result of this is that a, a lot of babies will be born and, and we like more babies. Right. Isn't that good? And she said, yay. That was her answer. Yay. Which is the right answer when you hear about more babies being born. Right. The answer to that is yay. And then she said, well, wait a minute. Why wouldn't we want babies to be born? Who wouldn't want that to happen? And that was an interesting question. And as I tried to form it and give her the information, I realized I'm like 
the the earthling when the aliens come and visit and ask questions of like why are you doing things this way it's almost impossible to explain to someone who doesn't understand it already i i i get i some people don't want babies to live that is like the real answer to that question why I don't know. Why would you be passionate about not wanting children to survive? I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you. I, maybe I'm a bad dad. Maybe I'm not smart enough. I don't know. But it does seem like, you know, maybe, just perhaps, there isn't an easy answer because the opposite position is insane. Maybe, just follow me on this, wanting children not to live, bad. Wanting them to live, be born, thrive throughout life, good. I mean, I, at this point, she's like, can I just go watch the cartoon I was watching? I'm sick of your explanation. But I do think it's important. It's important to realize how bizarre this debate is. But the, the debate did manifest itself in a vote last night. Now, if you missed yesterday's show, we, and we've explained it a couple times over the past couple of months, the vote on, in, in Kansas, a red state, obviously, a state that is not in favor of abortion in most polls, uh, the, the vote was basically set up because of a 2019 court ruling, which basically implemented in the state constitution of Kansas, a sort of mythical right to abortion. They, they came in with the microscope, they found it in the, between the fibers of the Constitution and created out of whole cloth, like they always do, uh, some mythical right to abortion. So far, that stood up to court challenges. And so they decided to have a vote about this. This is something the pro-life uh, side had been pushing for for a long time. We need to overturn this supposed right that isn't actually there in the first place. So that went on and it happened. Um, they were able to push it to the ballot and the ballot hit here. Now, strategically, in normal times, this would be a very good time uh, to, to do this. In a primary election where it's not super high turnout, you have people who are only passionate about, about this showing up and you should be able to win. And then in theory, in this, in this position, you'd have a situation where Roe versus Wade, when it was overturned, the Kansas uh, legislation will, uh, would be able to go through and, and, and uh, come up with sensible regulations, however, whatever the people of Kansas wanted. That's kind of the theory behind it, but did not go that way last night. And there's some important lessons to take from this. Enormous victory, says Common Dreams. Kansas voters resoundingly defeat anti-abortion amendment. That's true. It was 59 to 41. I think that counts kind of as resoundingly. I mean, it's not as big a blowout as it seems, but it's, you know, a decent victory, especially in Kansas. We could feel it. Kansas, Kansans celebrate upset abortion rights victory. Here's how abortion rights supporters won in conservative Kansas. Rolling Stone says conservatives are pushing absurd excuses for Kansas voting to protect abortion access. Are they that crazy? Kansas abortion win is a wake up call. Americans do not want GOP bans. Wow, that's a broad lesson to learn. The American prospect said it as classy as they are. Kansas to Alito, F.U. 
Americans, it appears, don't like their rights taken away. Huh, that's interesting. Thunderclap ballot box victory on abortion rights in Kansas gives Democrats a potent midterm issue, says CNN. Business Insider goes down that road as well. A losing anti-abortion referendum in Kansas, in Kansas cranked up voter turnout by a staggering amount, flagging a massive new problem for Republicans. And the New Republic says Kansas voters just rewrote the script for the midterm elections. Kind of fascinating, and that's the way, that's the lesson they're, they're taking on this. Now, you heard it referenced that it was ridiculous excuses as to why uh, the abortion amendment went down. And that's probably pointing to the, uh, the wording of it. It was, we talked about it a little bit yesterday before we even knew the results. Uh, it was a little strange. If you wanted to have a b- abortion rights uh, uh, repealed from the Constitution, you wanted them to go away, you had to vote yes. And if you wanted them to stay, you had to vote no. So it was a little confusing for people, though usually uh, there's so many resources poured into these things, the local residents get a good handle on that. So I don't think that's what happened here. I really don't. I don't don't think this is one of those situations where people sort of screwed up and voted for the wrong thing. It's possible that some people did go down that road, but I don't think that's the real reason. I think the reason is kind of what I talked about just a little while ago. Pro-life people for a while wanted to get this vote because... They wanted it to be prepared in case Roe versus Wade was overturned. And they pushed for it to happen right now because they believed it was the right time to get it overturned. The problem is, and I, I put problem in big time quotes here, is Roe versus Wade did get overturned before they had the vote. And so abortion was on a lot of people's minds. There was a lot of money to be spent on this topic. People are fired up about it. Donations are flying all over the place. This was the first symbolic vote on abortion since Roe versus Wade happened. It was going on in a red state where you normally would lose a vote like this. And, you know, it's one of those things where it happened immediately in the window right after the overturn. So passions were high. And if you think about how people feel, how do you feel now? We've talked about this a bunch of times. It feels like an incredible victory to overturn Roe versus Wade. Some people, I think, feel like, you know, it was such a big victory. You didn't have to necessarily um, show up to a vote like this. The passion on the right was not nearly as large as it was on the left, who apparently think that your right to kill children, uh, if it goes away, it's basically the handmaid's tale. So that's what they think. They got out and they voted. They really pushed hard for this and they were successful and won. I don't think the election was stolen. I don't think people voted the wrong way. I just think we were in a window um, where the fear of losing abortion rights is outweighing the fear of, 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 of changing the situation. And there's a situation where I think people on the right are saying, well, look, we won. A bunch of states are, over, are overturning this. The passion, we're in a red state. Are we really going to lose this? Well, yeah. I mean, that's a big lesson here. The, the answer is yes. The left is fired up, and the right right now is a little complacent. You, know, you get complacent in victory. And things have been going right on this issue for a while. And, you know, Kansas, while it's a red state, isn't so red that it's not Alabama, for example, or Louisiana or Texas, uh, you know, even and Texas is even approaching purple at times. But, you know, Kansas can have a little bit of a, you know, they've had, you know, lots of Democratic representatives there. This does happen. It's not a bright red state. Um, you know, I think it's important to stop and take a breath and and look at this and realize that once we get down the road a little bit here. 
When people realize that all of their abortion rights are not going away, they're available all over the country, unfortunately. Uh, they're available for all these exceptions that you might want uh, an abortion for, rape and incest and, and life of the mother and health of the mother. Many of these restrictions exist in red states, uh, and, and the cutouts for these things exist in red states during the time of these new restrictions coming into place. You know, it, most people don't get abortions. They really don't, uh, even though it seems like that when you watch the media. Uh, most people don't have to deal with this. And if they want to deal with it, most people are going to be able to get it. If you're in a blue state, you're probably liberal. You can probably get it in your blue state. The people who are in other states can travel. They can get stuff in the mail. They can uh, probably get it all paid for by abortion activist organizations. So when people understand what the real situation is and not the one that the media is telling them about, this, this handmaid's tale where all of your rights are going away, and who knows, tomorrow it could be interracial marriage. You never know. It could be right around the corner, this BS world that they produced for people is firing them up. The left is more passionate about this story uh, right now. And that's the reverse of many, many years, because for so long, the left was complacent in their victory. They sat back and they said, well, we got this. I mean, we got this. And conservatives pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed until eventually they were able to get this overturned. I don't think that lasts, this, this situation lasts forever. I do think eventually we'll will kind of settle in a, in a normal place where in two or three years you bring back this amendment in Kansas, it probably is going to succeed. And abortion will be able to be uh, ruled upon by the state legislature the way that the Supreme Court talked about. Um, so is this a big tragedy? Well, I will say this. The left is going to try to make this into their playbook for the election. And I honestly think if you're a conservative, you're a Republican and you want Republicans to win, that's a pretty good thing. The best thing that they can do is start shouting their abortions like crazy all over again. That's not going to help them. That's not going to help them win elections in, in most circumstances. If this vote had been held on election day, I think it would have come out the right way for pro-life people. It's just a low turnout election where all the passion is on the other side for a small window of time. So is this some big tragedy? Well, in a way, yes, because it's going to cost lives. This is a state in the middle of a bunch of states that don't uh, that do not like abortion. So this gives them there's an oasis, sort of an abortion oasis until this gets taken care of. And as of right now, uh, it's going to exist and it's going to mean that, you know, unfortunately, Many, many children who should be alive will not be. And that is a tragedy. But from a perspective of the larger debate on this and whether this shows that Americans just don't want their rights taken away, they just love their abortion so much, I don't think it shows that at all. Um, it's not as much a tragedy as it is a reminder, a reminder that this is not over, a reminder that the pro-life movement cannot get complacent in victory. A reminder that this fight will go on for a very long time. And it will not only go on in the courtroom and at the voting booth, but it will go on in living rooms and kitchens and bars and everywhere else where our correct view on respecting life is going to have to win over a lot of people's hearts and minds. This is a reminder to not get complacent in victory. And it's also a reminder that the hard work is still to come. This is not over. There's a long road ahead. 
We have to stay vigilant and continue to keep pushing for the rights of our children to survive. That's something that seems really basic when I tried to explain it to my daughter the other day. And I think it should be really basic to all of Americans, but it won't be unless we work hard and make sure we continue to fight for life. I listen to a lot of podcasts. You may be listening to a podcast right now on some headphones, right? And your headphones might have a wire dangling in front of you and, and getting all tangled in your, in your business. Uh, it may be you got these little dongles hanging off of your ears, so they look kind of like weird earrings that don't look very nice, and then they fall out of your ear. My, I never had that problem because I have Raycons. Raycons everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. They have optimized gel tips for perfect in-ear fit, so these uh, earbuds do not fall out. They do not budge. That does not happen with Raycons. Uh, Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and 32 hours of battery life, and then when you need to charge, it's super easy, it's fast, you can do it wirelessly, and it's a, you know, a huge selling point. Raycons give you the same quality auto, audio as other premium brands, but like half the price. Half the price. So you want to get great headphones, get Raycons. Raycons everyday earbuds have sold over have over 49,000 five-star reviews. Check out Raycons wireless earbuds. My guess is you're going to want to have uh, give them a five-star review uh, as well. But you might want more than one pair. You might want two or three. Uh, they're just fantastic. Go to buyraycon.com slash stew today. Get 15% off your Raycon order. B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash stew. Buyraycon.com slash stew. Get 15% off now. It's buyraycon.com slash stew. Joining me now is Jorge Ventura. He is a field reporter for The Daily Caller and has a new documentary out available right now. It's called Narcofornia, and you can check it out at narcofornia.com. Jorge, thanks for coming on. Hey, Stu, it's always good to be back in, uh, back in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to start with the trailer, if we could, because mm-hmm. kind of set the scene here, and then we'll come out and talk about the details. Watch. to understand our frustration that we have been going through this for years. Did you know that one of our citizens got attacked on her property, walking her dog by one of the pot growers' dogs? So when a stray bullet comes and hits one of my children or me, I swear to God, on a stack of Bibles, I will go out and I will Yeah, you can take marijuana, you can take water regulation, let's go down the line. We have no allies in the state government. Is there a rough estimate of how many cartel members are here right now? Conservative estimate, 10,000. 10,000 Yeah, people. I'd say conservative just, estimate. Just California. Just in California. These are organized crime groups, highly structured, well-funded, very aggressive, well-armed, in our forest all over California. They interviewed one of our sheriff deputies head rats and he just said we don't have enough resources to stop them if they ever come here and then bam they were here all of a sudden you had a thousand people show up who wanted to vote who all came from out of the area who all just happened to be growing illegal marijuana it's kind of like well and it blew up as the enforcement uh, started to dwindle they rapidly increased i want some sort of acknowledgement that it's a problem I have yet to even hear that. They, well, they, they are racist. Who? Uh, the county. 
There you go, narcofornia.com. Jorge, I mean, what I think hits me first on this is this there's this obviously has a lot to do with the border, but mm-hmm. in a way, it's not a border movie. This is Northern California. Exactly, Stu. Um, last time I was on your program, we discussed it was uh, we were releasing the Cartelville, which we looked mm-hmm. at the same situation, but in Southern California. This is a situation that I didn't, I didn't even know about. I was actually just covering the border, and I met Congressman Mike Garcia, who's a Republican. He represents District 25 back in SoCal. So I asked the Congress, Congressman, I said, "Hey, sir, you're the only representative from California, like in South Texas, worried about the border. Why?" And he said, well, Jorge, what's happening here, it's impacting my district. We're having a, what he called at the time, a Mexican cartel, illegal marijuana crisis. And he says, what he's been finding in his district is that when law enforcement raid these groves, that the migrants being forced to work on these illegal grow operations are essentially working um, their freedom from the cartel. So they're essentially indentured servitudes. We're seeing slavery on American soil. I mean, the water theft mm. and the violence these groups are bringing is, uh, it's a huge destruction. And it's one of the more underlying stories of California, the destruction of the legalization of marijuana. And this all happened under Governor Gavin Newsom. This is happening also as Newsom starts to set his eyes on the White House for 2024. Yeah, he does seem to be setting his eyes there, running ads in places like Florida, very, very bizarre right. behavior. Um, yeah, I think when you say marijuana, People say, ah, it's marijuana, it's pot. I mean, it's not one of the serious drugs. Mm-hmm. Why is this such a big problem? You know, and I, and I agree with the same sentiment. You know, um, the, the joke I always make is, look, it's not Cheech and Chong out there just growing pot and smoking <laughs> joints. Right, right. If it was, it, you know, this, wasn't, this wouldn't be a story. But it's, it's a sophisticated criminal. So, look, this is not a uh, reefer madness documentary. It's not anti-weed. Mm-hmm. It's more focused on the criminal element. So... What is an illegal marijuana operation? So in California, they legalized Calif- um, marijuana uh, statewide, 2016, and, and based, but it, what it did, it's, it made a legal cultivation, which used to be a felony in our state, to a misdemeanor. So Stu, if you and I, mm-hmm. let's say, had our own 50,000 illegal marijuana operation in California, if we got raided by LA County, we would only get a $500 misdemeanor. So that's what people don't know about. But the thing mm-hmm. is, it's not, it's not the, the weed that's the issue, it's the other aspect. So the water, right? You need water to grow weed. Well, that water is being stolen from ranchers and farmers all over Southern and Northern California. So it's threatening um, the way of life for these farmers. So in the Antelope Valley, they had about 176 fire hydrants for the farmers, right? The, fire, the farmers should go and tap into the water whenever they need it. They pay a certain amount to the city. Because the water theft was so high with the cartels, L.A. County had to come in and shut off 100 of those fire hydrants. So they're down to about 76. So the water theft is an uh, an issue. The human smuggling is an issue because this is forced labor. And then the amount of violence uh, connected to these illegal grows has been, I mean, that to me is the most shocking part. The homicides that were connected. uh, Last year, um, L.A. County Sheriff found a body of a 26-year-old Guatemalan male who attempted to run away from the cartels from the illegal grow. He was shot and killed. They didn't find the body for four months. And this is not just Mm. in Southern California. It's, It's in Northern California, this, the second part of our documentary focuses on Northern California just because they're seeing it, uh, they're getting hit with Asian cartels taking over these small rural communities. I was in a town, it's called Doris, California, so we're near Oregon, a town of just a thousand people, ranchers and farmers, but they have 1,300 illegal grow ops. So they have more growing operations than people, than people controlled by Asians, controlled by, and they're armed, heavily armed. They shoot at the American citizens, they shoot at the, at the police. And it's a kind of an underlying story that many Americans actually don't know that's happening in our country. Yeah, I mean, because one of the main arguments for making marijuana legal is that you avoid this stuff, right? right? People don't come in. They don't. You don't need the illegal people. The, it's available to everyone mm-hmm. wherever you want to go. So why would there be illegal operations there? Why? Why isn't this the legalization process working in that regard? Well, basically, it's created this whole black market. Um, 
business because of just how low the crime is. So like I said, Stu, if, if you and me are cartel guys and we're making millions of dollars, yeah. and if we get a $500 misdemeanor on one operation, I mean, that's, that, that doesn't do anything. Cost of doing business. So they've essentially kind of created this kind of safe haven for them. The DAs don't, don't prosecute anyone in California. But even if you interview people on the legal weed side, right, like legal weed um, dispensary owners, they don't like what's going on because the black market has destroyed their their weed side because the legal the illegal side they pay no taxes to the state of California mm-hmm. so our we don't even see the, the revenue um, the water they're stealing it so we're, it's a it's a huge loss and the other guys are playing by the rules so they're paying the taxes they're paying the water they're doing everything so a, a pound of marijuana in California used to sell around twelve hundred bucks the state of California would tax you about one fifty on that mm-hmm. which you know you could do business uh, in today's market you sell a pound for. Three hundred dollars in the state of California still taxes you one hundred and fifty. So even the legal weed business, wow. um, I would actually say we're about about a year or two away from the legal weed business set to collapse in California. And the scary part of it too is that the cartel issue is not just a California issue. When we put out our first documentary, I had law enforcement agents from Southern Oregon contact me, Oklahoma, and New Mexico, who said, "Jorge, we have Mexican Chinese all in the same business now in our state. It's not just a California issue." That's fascinating. So, I mean, you could also make the argument that because they lowered it to a misdemeanor, they're they're starting up these huge uh, illegal operations, and then that marijuana is not only shipped to California but all over the place. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. could be infecting states all over the region. Exactly. I mean, the, the marijuana who, that the legal marijuana coming out of California doesn't even stay in our state. Mm. It's all shipped to the East Coast and, it's, and sold for three times the the, the profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very scary stuff. We interviewed one rancher who was in uh, Lassen County. So for perspective for the audience, Lassen County is, is as big as the state of Rhode Island. So you have a rancher, and this rancher was getting his water stolen every day by armed Asian cartel members, right? What? So uh, this rancher calls 911, right? He calls his local sheriff and says, Sheriff, I need, obviously, law enforcement presence. These guys are stealing water. I'm about to have no water for my cattle. Well, the law enforcement agent responds saying, well, I only have two sheriff deputies for the entire county of Lassen. I'm not going sh- to send my guys to battle cartel guys. I'm, I'm, I'm just sorry. So... When I interviewed these ranchers, I said, mm-hmm. well, what do you guys feel like? Do you think Washington, D.C. and the federal government need to be involved? They say, absolutely, because California isn't listening. Sacramento isn't listening. Gavin Newsom isn't responding. And a county like Lassen, for example, um, last year they voted in 80 percent in favor of recalling Governor Gavin Newsom. So it almost feels like Gavin Newsom is making these voters um, kind of punishing them by saying, yeah. I'm not going to even send any reinforcement. You guys are all on your own. That's really fascinating. So uh, let's go to the violence here for a second. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the, the drugs are one thing, and, the, and there's a lot of problems associated with that. But one of the big ones is violence. And violence not just against other cartel members, which, of course, is part of it, but also regular citizens, regular people, even police officers. Yes. Yeah, so one of the people that we interviewed in our documentary, his name is John Norris. So John Norris used to be a game warden with Cal Fishing Game. And, um, you know, a job of a game warden is to check that there's enough water in the creek and, you know, hunters are not killing animals at night. Just really basic stuff. Mm-hmm. He stumbled on an illegal marijuana grow controlled by the Mexicans in a California national forest. So this is on public land where mm-hmm. you and I have access to. He stumbled on this uh, uh, on his operation by accident with a partner. The cartels retaliated and shot his partner in the knees. And those type of situations are happening every single day with law enforcement. We interviewed San Bernardino Shen, uh, Sheriff Shannon Dykus last year. His law enforcement agents in constant gunfire with these guys. And these guys are bold, heavily armed. We're not talking about little pistols. We're talking about AK-47, military-style weapons in the California National uh, Force so in rural areas. If you ever run into these guys, they're wearing the camouflage um, attire. They have the uh, carpet shoes, is what we call them, so there's no tracks. So these are sophisticated characters. This is not a, hey, I just want to grow a little pot, get high right. hippies uh, from the 70s. These are 
sophisticated characters, like I said, it's not just a California problem. They moved into Southern Oregon, Oklahoma, New Mexico. And what I'm most fascinated, it's not just the Mexicans, right? We have the Chinese. Um, in our documentary, we focus on the Hmong community because the Hmongs are now involved in illegal grow operations. But what makes the Hmong unique is that the Mexican Chinese cartels, they're not looking to be involved in local politics, right? They're not registering to vote, but the Hmong are. In Siskiyou County, they're registering to vote. They're actually looking uh, looking to play a role in local politics. And that was really scares the ranchers because they don't have the money, the law enforcement or the funding to fight off the cartel. And Gavin Newsom just doesn't want to address this problem because it, it ties directly to Newsom off the failure of legalizing of, of marijuana in California. It's amazing because you, you, you hear these stories from, uh, from Mexico where politicians speak out against the cartels and then they get executed in the mm-hmm. streets a week later. And it seems like they can't do anything to stop this. And now this stuff's starting to come here and happening in communities, small you know, communities all across the country. What do we do? Because uh, Mexico seems to have no ability to handle it uh, that based on corruption and, 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 and so many other factors. What can we do here in the United States to actually take care of this? Well, the, the first issue, Stu, is the border, because yeah. this all stems from the border, because the cartels, I mean, they come from the border, they get their labor force from the border, and um, the chemicals, toxins that are being used on the marijuana is actually coming from the border, because these chemicals are actually banned inside the United States. So it really stems mm. from just us protecting our border and then having just stronger laws statewide. And when I, like I said, when we talk about illegal marijuana, no one cares if someone is growing, you know, 50 plants and the count is, you know, uh, 30, like, no one cares. We're talking about the criminal aspect. And... I do think at this point, because how bad it's gotten in California, we have to get D.C. and federal government uh, involved. So just a little bit of perspective. So in L.A. County, in our first documentary, L.A. County has five, over 500 legal grows. The county next door, San Bernardino, has over 1,100. We just spent time in Siskiyou County, one county that has between 7,000 to 10,000 illegal grows. I mean, it's That's mind-boggling. Where in local law enforcement, they, they, first of all, they can't even find the body. So I was interviewing um, Jeremiah LaRue, who's a fascinating guy. He's only 37 years old. He's the youngest county sheriff in California, and he has a cartel problem. So I'm, asked, I'm interviewing the sheriff. I said, Sheriff, what's some of the challenges you face in battling the guys? He said, well, I can't hire any sheriff deputies because no sheriff deputy wants to get paid 20 bucks an hour to deal with cartels. And I'm like, that's, that's what it is. I'm like, do you think National Guard has to get involved? He says, I believe Washington, D.C., DOJ have to get involved at this point. Uh, we'll see if, if Washington, D.C., you know, answers back. I've been trying to ring the alarm with our reporting. We know that uh, Representative Mike Garcia, Jay Albernazzi in Southern California, uh, Doug LaMalfa as well in Northern California, they're trying to ring the alarm and saying, hey, guys, look what's happening here. Mm. We're, we're being taken over by these drug cartels. And then people are like, oh, well, it's just weed. Worry about the fentanyl. It's like, well, these guys are work in that same business. Um, but they've, they've, they've grown in, in power and control. And I really feel bad for the ranchers, too, because like, these are just true, hardworking, working class, making an honest living people. And um, their whole way of life ha- has been threatened. There's literally no go zones when you travel these places. With this, I mean, this is uh, third world country stuff. Uh, this really is fascinating. And I think uh, because of how many constant catastrophes uh, the Biden administration has <laughs> yeah. been causing and dealing with over the past couple of years, we forget sometimes about the border, which has been on fire since the day the guy mm-hmm. got into office. And it's getting worse and worse. Uh, Jorge Ventura, he's a field reporter for The Daily Caller. The new film is called Narcofornia. You got to watch this because this is a problem people are not talking about right now. You can check it out at narcofornia.com. Uh, Jorge, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks, too. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do. Let's say you live in California and you're surrounded by, I don't know, cartels. Maybe 
you might want to move. And if you do want to move, you need to have the best real estate agent in your area uh, to sell your home and also to buy a new one, probably in a red state somewhere else. Uh, if that is you, you need to go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Uh, you know, this is a big transaction, probably the biggest financial tra- uh, transaction you'll ever be involved in. So, what are you going to do about that? You better have somebody who is the best agent in their area, knows the market, knows how to do the right things at the right time. What should you sell? What should you buy? Uh, how many repairs should you do before you get rid of a house? Realestateagentsitrust.com is a place to go to find the person who knows all those answers. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there, connect with the team, and they will help walk you through the process. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Nancy Pelosi made headlines this week, and unfortunately, no, not for a DUI bust like her husband, Paul, but for a trip to Taiwan that critics say might have stirred up some unnecessary drama with China. Now, I'm not a fan of China, and it's never a bad thing to poke them in the eye as much as possible. Uh, I am I will say I'm not a fan of Nancy Pelosi either, especially when her fights for uh, whatever she's trying to do over there. I mean, it's kind of unclear. She's flying around the world and maybe stirring up World War III. World War III would suck, just like her. And you see where I'm going with this, of course. Nancy Pelosi sucks. Yes, Nancy Pelosi sucks, Pen. It's back in stock at stewdoesmerch.com or the slightly funnier Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. Dot com. Don't miss your chance to snag one of these beautiful, beautiful pens right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Full replica of the pen Nancy used to sign both impeachments of President Trump right before each full Senate acquittal. And written tastefully along the side right here says Nancy Pelosi in her signature and then also in her signature uh, sucks. It's a little bonus text for you. You can get the, um, the mug as well, which is very, very fun. Uh, it says very subtle, classy uh, writing Uh, And her signature font, Nancy Pelosi sucks. Okay, nancypelosisuckspen.com. Go there now. Use uh, the code STU10 when you get there. It's not going to make Nancy suck any less, but it will save you 10% on your order. nancypelosisuckspen.com. Let me tell you about Grip6 and their fashionable and customizable belts, wallets, and socks. Yes, Grip6 is a small company in Utah that sells to the United States and all over the world, but they're sourcing everything they do uh, here in America. Their belts are really cool, minimalist. Uh, They're not just jutting out of your shirt. Uh, And they're also customizable, so you can do laser-etched designs, logos, flags, all sorts of cool stuff on the belt buckle to make it personable. Um, They also have carbon fiber, so you're not setting off the metal detectors at the airport. And uh, they also have great wallets as well uh, that will uh, really protect you uh, from uh, from all that nonsense as well. They get the little loop in the pocket. You can pull it out if you want. And it's not like the giant George Costanza wallets that make you sit all askew. They're nice. They're small. They're cool. Grip6.com slash stew. Check it out now. Uh, Use the promo code stew to save 15%. Grip, the number six, dot com slash stew. Get 15% off today. It's grip6.com slash stew. Sometimes the responsibility falls on me, your lovely, slightly overweight, but huggable host, to tell you everything that's going to happen in advance. I mean, look. I don't know, what other show were you watching that gave you the exact electoral count that it wound up being in 2020 before the election? Is there another show that did that? I didn't think so. And 
Who else was telling you exactly how this John Stewart thing was going to play out? With 100% accuracy, that's what I've been whining about this week. And the exact thing I said was going to happen has happened. Yes, John Stewart came out and started talking about this burn pits bill. This burn pits bill never had a prayer of going down. Everyone knew it was going to pass. Initially, it had 84 votes in the Senate. And then why didn't it just why did they bother going back? And why didn't it just go through with that vote when they got 84 votes? Well, the House decided they wanted to tweak it for some reason. So they tweaked it and then it came back to the Senate. And when it came back to the Senate, then some Republicans said, wait a minute, Pat Toomey's observation on how this is being funded is really valid. And maybe we should change that. You guys did kind of promise us this whole amendment vote on this. So let's do that. Oh, no. Then comes John Stewart, who comes out and he says, I I am upset at Republicans who are, they want to kill all the veterans. They want veterans to die. And then the fawning media comes to you and says, oh, John, thank you for coming to rescue us, these poor veterans. Now, of course, us on the left, we basically hate military members all the rest of the time. But this time we care about these veterans and this one particular circumstance that happens to be damaging to Republicans. And they came and John Stewart came in on his white on his white horse the white knight here to save all the veterans who have been battling in wars and breathing in the air at burn pits now of course as i said this was always going to pass it was a question about a little bit of language in the bill the republicans wanted to vote on it they decided they weren't going to give it to them that was the conflict it had never Ever was there a moment that these veterans were not going to get this money? Anyway, long story short, of course, as I said was going to happen, the Republicans then said, okay, well, it's time to vote on it. And they voted on it because they got all this public pressure from Jon Stewart. And now every article about it tells you that Jon Stewart is responsible for getting this bill passed. A complete and total fabrication. And they treat Jon Stewart like he's God. Well, he's not. He's a dolt and he sucks. All right. That's the entire story. It's been the correct story all this time. Never was there another path this could have gone on. And now we're here. You sh I would read this to you word for word, but it is so agonizing. I don't want to blow up the rest of your day. Let me instead make you feel good about something. Did you know this is true? Good things occasionally happen in the United States of America. It's true, it does occasionally happen. And this one I think is uh, un, unqualified wonderful. Taco Bell's Mexican pizza will return. Yes, it will return as a permanent menu item in September. Apparently, when they took it off the market and then brought it back to Taco Bell, demand was seven times higher than supply. Now, this had been on the menu for decades. I don't know why all of a sudden uh, this happens like this, but it did. It went away for a time, but don't worry. You will be in, 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 a, in, a, in a country very, very soon where you can safely ignore Jon Stewart and you can continue to eat Mexican pizza.
We've lost a legend, Vin Scully, dying at 94. He, of course, you know, an absolute broadcasting legend, one of the best of all time. And you can go back to some of his calls, you know, whether it's the 86 World Series or, uh, you know, uh, the Kirk Gibson game or uh, the catch. I mean, so many famous calls. But let me give you one that might appeal to you that you may have missed. This is from, I think, his last year broadcasting watch. Socialism failing to work as it always does, this time in Venezuela. You talk about giving everybody something free and all of a sudden there's no food to eat. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway, 0-2. Oh, <laughs> uh, so great. Ben Scully. Uh, he's gone, but we will miss him forever.